Welcome back to the Life After Bliss podcast. I'm Thomas. And I'm John. And we are doing it in the new year. Oh my goodness, 2020 is here. What are you going to do? What, what are you going to do? I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a new year. I'm going to wash my brain like uh, Jeff taught us in our last podcast. Last podcast. And you know what? Like, like every day, are you doing crunches? Are you doing like sit-ups? Are you doing pull-ups? No, what are you doing? No, it's, it's wash my brain year. Wash my your, body oh, can go to hell, John. It's, it's <laughs> all about my mind. Yeah, sure, sure. I don't know if that's exactly what the podcaster meant by that, but I, sure, I'm buying it. So you're saying you're going to the bakeries, you're going to the coffee shops. You're eating a lot this year is what you're saying. I'm going to meditate and I'm going to eat. That's what I'm doing for 2020. <laughs> you're going to focus on eating is what you're going to do. Yeah, and washing my brain and just letting the rest fall where it needs to. Oh, you know, maybe we should talk about our sponsor uh, now that you've mentioned eating. Our sponsor for this week's podcast is Sweet Inspirations Bakery in O'Fallon, Missouri. And wow, if you're going to sit around and do nothing but eat, this is the place to go for there, sure. There is no better place to let yourself go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's a slogan they're going for exactly. I think it works. <laughs> it works for you. <laughs> but as people in, in this world should know, Thomas is actually a really good-looking guy who's got abs of steel. Actually, in 2019, you wanted to have a six-pack. That was your goal. It is. Go- yeah, but I didn't get there. It didn't get there. You had like four, though, right? Yeah, it was like four and a half. I don't know. I couldn't uh, quite get there. So, so for you to talk about this kind of stuff really is kind of like you know taking the six pack out working on the keg this year baby <laughs> anyways that is what's going on this year i'm uh, i'm just always consistently the same weight so i don't change that at all it's just is i'm just I, I haven't changed my my like my size since i was 18 so i'm pretty excited about that so yeah, there you go consistency something. is good it's good well today we have a very special guest we um, do we have a special guest and this is our first time that we've actually done a call-in guest yeah it is and this is kind of interesting our executive producer tom was down in nashville a couple weeks ago and he uh, does a lot in the music uh, career music business and also in the video production business um, and he was watching an artist and in uh, talking to somebody in the music industry and it really inspired him he started looking into some stuff and then he's like hey john hey tom uh, thomas you should do you should look Look into this girl, Ashlyn. And so I found out our special guest is Ashlyn Huff this week. And um, we have a connection with her dad. Her dad is, is a big music producer. He's a player. He's a session player. He's, he's, has he been on tour? Probably so. He's played with and wrote many, many songs and, and just has been all over the music industry. And uh, it, it really inspired our guests as well. And so she her whole life has been altered by her dad and her family and all that. We'll get into that. But uh, yeah, our special guest, Ashlyn Huff. Yeah, and, and, and just to kind of cue this up, it is singer, songwriter, book writer. Um, she you does get, it all. She does. And so you, you are a woman of many hats, Ashlyn. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I have a lot of hats, and I actually like hats. Is there something you don't do? Um, weirdly, I am learning how to play guitar next week by my dad. I never learned. Your dad's so teaching you how to play guitar? Yeah, over over FaceTime, no doubt. <laughs> do yeah. You, do you play any instruments? You know, I started uh, guitar. I mean, I didn't start guitar. I started piano as a kid. But I, as the first child, I was pretty independent. And I turned on Janet Jackson instead and danced in the room until the timer went off. And my mom was like, okay, I get it. That's not what you want to do. So I was the first dancer in the family. Um, you were a girl that I was started- like a cheerleader and a palmer oh, yeah. and all those things. Right? You were a popular girl in school. Though. Uh, I would say maybe people thought I was, but I wasn't actually, I just did like the popular things, but I, I preferred the quieter people. <laughs> did, did your dad play on a Michael Jackson song? Is that right? He did. He played on man in the mirror. Oh my God. I, how many times played, have I heard that song? 
Oh, I know. He played. He played on "My Heart Will Go On" with uh, Celine Dion, <laughs> Titanic. What was that? What was that like growing up like that and then trying to get into music? Oh, dude, that was the part—the hardest part. I mean, the the thing is, my grandfather actually led the way. He um, he passed last year in March of 2018, and or two years ago, now, I guess. Um, and he was the conductor of the symphony in Nashville, so he started the whole thing. My grandmother is still alive, and she uh, is a pianist. My dad's a guitar player. My uncle's a drummer. Um, and so it, it, I wasn't the first one, but I was the first grandchild of my, of, of Ron Huff and I was the first kid of the first kid of Ron Huff. So, uh, that was hard for me growing up, but I was also in awe because their legacy is so, uh, it's, it still warms my heart today, how well they did it, because it's not just about talent for, um, my dad and my uncle David and my grandfather. It was about the person you are. And you showed the love for your family before anything else. So most people still know um, my mom's name and my grandmother's name before they know anything else because they've met them. They've heard my dad talk or my grandfather talk about them first or the kids. So that would be the legacy, I think, that was uh, the most heartwarming. But at the same time, it was a little nerve wracking to get into music because I didn't I didn't start singing until um college really i mean i sang but like i did it on the down low because uh leanne rhymes at my house most days and she doesn't have to do more than one pass in the studio and i was like like i'll ever sound like her wow wow. (laughs) i'm regular (laughs) yeah so the the pressure of that was there an expectation from your your parents there was the opposite they were so they were the opposite of stage parents and so because of that it made me worried like, okay, I know he'll be really honest because he did not mince words. He was not going to tell me I was good if I wasn't because he was like, that's just not a good parent. Like, that's not what I, I, I don't, uh, telling your kid you're, they're good at something else, that's just setting them up for fi- finding out that's not the truth. And that's not what I want for my kids. And so I was afraid to even ask. And um, it actually took a, my first breakup to be like, Dad, I want to write a song. And I was 19. And it uh, it was a pretty, really terrible breakup because uh, I was, uh, <laughs> I'm jumping right in. I was um, sexually assaulted by my boyfriend at the time. Uh, and it was, but I didn't know how to tell anyone. So I told my dad, instead of drinking, instead of doing anything crazy, I was like, can we write a song? That was like my breakdown moment. And he said yes, and uh, that was the beginning of my songwriting life. You know, that's uh, that's really awesome that you had such a great relationship with your dad that you could mm-hmm. actually take that to him. I know so many people that have gone through that. It's a horrific thing, and they just hold on to it internally and not don't voice it to anybody, and it comes out like 10 well, or 15 I didn't years later. Him. You didn't tell him. I didn't tell him for five years. Oh, wow. I didn't tell anyone because I had never... I, I'm still the most boring person you'll ever meet, even on the phone. Um, I didn't drink till I was 21, and my parents made me drink on my 21st birthday. They were like, it's time, child. And I didn't say cuss words. I did, I've still never smoked a cigarette. I've never done a drug. I live in Colorado now. Like I could do things, and it would be fine. But it's it, it, that was like I didn't make mistakes. And I lived in the South and that was, that I, I was waiting until marriage and that was taken away from me. And I just didn't know what to do because it was so gray and I, I'd never gotten grounded. I'd never even been threatened to be grounded. So I just didn't know how to start the sentence to say, Hey, something happened. So my alternative was to say, can we write a song? And I just made it about being heartbroken. Um, and I, I told them five years later, it was the worst five years of my life. Um, and I, I'm all about, 
being honest and upfront now, but I think that ultimately led me to to having heart troubles in my relationships because I couldn't, I just couldn't make mistakes or, or I couldn't um, voice them. Yeah, I guess you wore a lot of that guilt and shame uh, in mm-hmm. from that first relationship. Was that your first relationship, real relationship? Yeah, no, but it was uh, it was so pivotal because that was uh, my first sexual experience, and it was in his dorm room at the University of Tennessee, and it was uh, it was not. I'd had conversations. I'd been really upfront with how I what I did not want to do, and I had been told that's fine by this this person, and well. I've let like the the sting has lessened. Um, I forgave that a long time ago. I wish him the best. It still really affected me because I just didn't see it coming. And it was actually on my 19th birthday, which was the kicker because I could never forget the anniversary. Yeah, yeah, and it's just so difficult. We internalize that. And in 19, I mean, it's easy mm-hmm. to think of of someone that age and think of them as an adult, but you haven't had those experiences. Right. You have this idea, and you you just don't know what to do with that. And so. Yeah, we internalize that and we think, did we do something wrong? Is there something that right. I could have done? And it, it's so difficult. So I, I just apologize. And I was the oldest that. kid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was the first kid. So I didn't have anyone to ask. You know, I my parents were the next ones and and they I didn't know. I just didn't know how to start the sentence. And, and I know that I'm not the only person who feels that way. A lot of my other friends were like, what's the problem? And I was like, it's just... I just didn't know, like, and it was a block. And, and so now, now I'm not there, but, um, but for the longest time it, it painted, I think every relationship I was in and it painted my, uh, my friendships, it painted all my conversations because I had to hold a big piece of me back. Yeah. I, I dated a girl, uh, after post-marriage and she, mm-hmm. uh, I found out she had been, uh, taken advantage of by a man who uh, called himself a youth minister and and worked mm. at a, and worked at a church, and that happened when she was eighteen years old. And as a result, the the faith has been always uh, something that's been tainted to her, and for for good reason. But she's denied mm. t- denied any sense of Christianity because this happened under the guise of the church. And well, they're and, interlinked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, like like somebody cut in on her. And it's going to take like a miracle for her to, to overcome that. And here she is in her mid thirties, you know, almost 40 now. Mm. So, I mean, it's just, that's, um, that's a hard, it's just unfortunate. Yeah. It's a hard place. I mean, there's, there's crap that happens in the world and, and we still have to wake up every the next day. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's tremendous discipline. So you, you're coming out of that though, you're 19 yeah. and you start getting into music because of this, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe you're a little bit skewed because of your relational stuff. Um, so tell us a little more about where your career went. So I, I started um, Belmont University, which is in Nashville, right across from Music Row, uh, which is only 10 minutes down from my parents' house, but that's just where I wanted to be. Um, and I, I got into the music business uh, school, so the Curb Music uh, Curb School of Music business, and it was uh, it was a way. It was a way for me to get a business degree, but also stay in the music realm because my dad said, like, you're not you're not going somewhere where I wanted to do production at first before I started writing songs, because that was where I was comfortable. Um, I had grown up in the studio and I just I knew how to to do my own vocals. I knew how to do anything in the studio. And it just made sense. And it was safe. But he said, do something that I can't teach you and that you something that you already don't know or that something that you're um, you are uh, you won't be like fighting 
internally with the, um, the the instructors and the teachers and professors because you learned a way that's probably not technically correct. So let's like use this money. If I'm going to pay for this, like let's make it worth all of our while. <laughs> so I got them. I got into that, and he said, also, if you're good, you're good. You don't need if you want to be in music, if you want to be an artist, uh, which I was partially able to say out loud um, just to a few people. And he said, but if you want to do that, if you're good, you're good. You need to have something else. Not because you're not going to make it, not because whatever. You just also need to be well-rounded. And this is when you can figure yourself out. So I went the music business route, which was, I'm so thankful for it. If anyone out there is sending a child to Belmont, I highly recommend the music business route. Um, ironically, I used to work in the admissions office there. So I'm I'm, I'm back in my old roots. Post-divorce, that's where I, I worked. Um, and... So I, I went there for a couple of years and my dad said, you know, I, I was like, well, what if I get, an, what if I got a deal? Like, what if something happened? And he said, you're not leaving until you have a real legitimate reason to leave. He left Belmont um, after a semester or two, I think, um, because he had a lot of offers in LA and it worked out for him, but he knows he was like, that's, that's timing. That's where the industry is. That's everything. And so you're not doing that unless it is absolutely like, you no doubt behind it and so of course that's hard to prove <laughs> but I did get an offer um uh, I want to say on accident a little bit I was at a Titans game working on a Carol King paper for my Rick uh history of rock and roll class <laughs> and um my teacher for that class ironically was um I, one of the guys that was in the band the turtles the oh, wow. happy together song yeah it was awesome he didn't even use a book because he didn't have to. Wow. Um, and so I was writing that and it just so happened they were they were forming, the people we were in the box with were forming a new label uh, as a part of the Anderson Merchandising Group, which is who distributed all the music books and movies for Walmarts. And it just was like the match made in heaven at the time. So I got the offer. So so hold Not on one on, second. Yeah. How, how do you get yeah. accidentally discovered at a Titans I know, game? I, I, I feel know. like I need a little what, what, more detail. Well, yeah, was she on the Jumbotron or something? I, was I've there been a kiss to, cam? I've been a lot of sporting events. No one has ever <laughs> discovered me. I try. I strut around. <laughs> I was writing a paper, y'all. I wasn't even, I just knew these people from different things. And they were talking to, talking to all of us and asking, like, what's new? Um, this woman that I knew, she had just gotten remarried to the guy who ran this merchandising company. And so I didn't know him. I only knew the wife. And they had gotten remarried, like, within the last year. So we were all catching up. And then as it's happening, I had never told this woman I wanted to be in music because I was afraid of telling people that. So she didn't know. And once she, they figured out what was going on, oh, Ashlyn's getting into music. Oh, well, we are actually starting a label. It just was a conversation. There was no, like, you you sound good. <laughs> Did you at least have uh, to sit next to him during the national anthem and sing behind him just so they knew, like, that you could sing? <laughs> was there that? Well, I had, I had been singing. I was in, like, the Opryland Kids Club when I was a kid, when I was 11. Oh, that's like the Mickey uh, Mouse Club, right? That's kind of yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I thought the Launching so. pad. Yeah. It was the last year. It was The park was open. It just so happened, and I got the job, but I didn't even go on purpose to the audition. I went because my, like, little dance partner boyfriend at the time was, was um, auditioning, and I was afraid to sing, but I could. And so when I did, I got it, and he didn't make it. No. <laughs> it was 
stressful. Did you um, break up at that time? That's such a good time to break up when, no. the, when the boy doesn't well, get in. Well, I mean, we were like 11, so we weren't really like, so I, like, like boyfriend. Um, we, we danced together through 18. Um, we, I am still super close to him. He's actually working, still doing dance and, and singing and stuff. I, um, I miss him d- terribly, but, uh, I, but I was, so I got there. So I'd been singing, I sang in like plays and things, but more against my will. I was, per, I prefer, I felt safer as being known as the dancer. So this big transition was more of like me finding my voice again. It's always about me finding my voice. I find every time I've had any issue, when I found my voice, things changed. And this is another one of those. So yeah, that's how you accidentally get a record deal. All at right. A game. Well, I'm going to tell lots of people next time I go to a sporting <laughs> event, I'm getting into music and I'm just going to see what happens. So so in your story, you write a Carol though, King paper. Yes. Yeah, First of all, who writes a paper during a football game? Yeah, I don't know. That, me. I, I, I'm not going to throw around <laughs> words like nerd, but I mean, there's... <laughs> It feels applicable. I told you already. Boring nerd. Yeah, it's exactly, you're exactly how I picture the music scene when you're like, yeah, I didn't do, no alcohol, no smoking. I'm like, yeah, musicians, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, her parents played it straight. Yeah, so so tell us more then about your story. So you you get this break and you're you're finally going to use your voice. You're going to find your voice. And how did that go? Mm. It it got easier and easier, the, like the dam breaks and you just start going. So then I start writing with uh, songwriters in Nashville and I actually went to Sweden twice, Stockholm, um, and I wrote out in LA a little bit. Uh, my first ever cut on a, on a record wasn't even for me, um, it was for the Pussycat Dolls. Uh, they did a, 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 I think the record was called Doll Domination, and that's also not the most me ever thing, but <laughs> I was a dancer, so it was fine. Uh, and I, I wrote one of the ballads with a girl named Stephanie Fair, uh, and Stephanie, well, Stephanie Rydell was her name before she got married. Um, Stephanie was in a band called Wild Orchid with Fergie when she was young, and then um, I actually was just on her podcast in August because she has a she's um, she's also divorced. She's also remarried to Ron Fair. That he used to be the head of the Interscope at Records, and they live in Nashville now. And we like caught back up, but that was my first actual cut on a record, and I was like, "Whoa, this is cool!" And because it was me, it wasn't my dad. It had nothing to do with him. And, and by the way, my dad was not a part of anything. He he told me up front. I love you, and I'm going to do what my dad did, which was com- was just completely take my hands off of any project you do because you will question, because I did, if everything that you touch is okay because of the parent or because of the legacy. And he said, you won't want that. And so I'm just going to go ahead and relinquish you of that. That didn't mean it still didn't crop up a little bit here and there because you can't unknow that I'm his kid. But at the same time, he wasn't directly involved in pushing the cart down, you know, the, the path. So, um, everything I did was with pop people. That's kind of why I chose pop music versus country. It wasn't my backyard. I didn't know everyone. Everyone was new. I was new to them. Nashville was not cool at the time. Apparently (laughs) it was not on the map. I was told like, Hey, you were technically born in LA, right? Okay. Say that. Uh, now of course everyone loves Nashville, but at the time it was a little bit, it was more like Hannah Montana, is the only crossover. But um, so I got the record deal. I finished college early uh, in three and a half years because I really wanted to still get that degree. I was close enough. 
Um, I worked at CAA, a Creative Artist Agency in Nashville. I had a, um, a job slash like internship or internship that turned into a job. And I also worked at Lyric Street Records as their intern um, with uh, the head of A&R. So they kind of just threw me around. They used to have Rascal Flats and everything. They're no longer a company. I think um, Disney absorbed or they reabsorbed it because they was already a Disney company. So I worked in the industry a little bit. And then I got in. I, I all of a sudden graduated from Belmont in December 2007. And then it was like all the negotiations and stuff. So during that time all the legal parts were going on, I was writing. And um, I started writing with this guy named Busby. His name was Mike, really, but his last name is Busby. And he went by Busby all over case. And um, he and I started writing and he just passed uh, in September. He weighed to at 43 of a brain tumor, oh a very, very abrupt one. Yeah, I, I cannot tell you how influential he was in my first record. Um, but we wrote uh, some of the songs that actually got me through my divorce. Ironically, I had no idea how much help I would give myself in the future. Um, but we wrote a song called Heartbeat. Uh, we wrote a song called Heart of Gold. Hearts are themes, apparently. And um, that was my first single, yeah. my first music video yeah. and stuff. And and so, so sort of thinking through the timeline, it's interesting you talk about that, yeah. writing things that will later become more meaningful. So help, help me understand, how old are you? You're writing with, with Busby, all lowercase, um, versus oh, lowercase. like how much longer was this uh, till you were divorced? Oh, I was 22 when I was writing this. I was 30 when I was getting divorced, so 31 Wow. So it's very pro- prophetic almost that, you, uh, that you're writing yeah. these future songs to yourself. And, uh, you guys, I am smart. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I usually am better at giving like my past self advice, but I mean, if I could get to the point where I'm giving my future self advice, that's next level. You know, that's like and the if office. You could sing it to yourself. Oh yes, yeah, that's even better. You're singing to yourself, well, like literally. I sing everything, but only alone or this in the shower. This is like the uh, the office episode where like future Dwight sends oh. Dwight a letter. You know, yeah. like beware yes. of the coffee. It's Do been not poisoned. touch the coffee. <laughs> Yeah. It is poison. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we can talk about office all night long. Oh, okay. So, so you're you're starting to peak in your, and I don't want to spend all our time on your career, although it's yeah. it's very remarkable. Um, just give us like a, a highlight of sort of where your your career peaked, and then sort of how you you transitioned mm-hmm. beyond that. Okay. So, did the first record. I went on tour with, um, they were part of the Jonas Brothers group. They're, they, uh, a band that I think it was under them, um, in their like, I don't know, over a parent company, the Jonas group, and it was called Honor Society. So we went on a tour for a couple um, months, or like I think three months in 2010. And I, uh, the, the, the main thing to know is that I got a sinus surgery right before we started. So I was pretty sick the whole time because I just didn't have enough recovery. Um, but it, your sinuses are really linked to your voice. And so it was, it was necessary and it just was bad timing. That's all. And so when I got off the road, I was just exhausted. Uh, then I started a month later on the, um, Jordan Sparks battlefield tour for, I guess two more months. So I was on the road more than I wasn't that year. Um, fast forward, I moved to uh, I moved to LA right after that tour ended. I think it was like two weeks because I thought I just I need to be closer to all the things. So I went I went to LA and then everything in my sound changed. 
um, not from my decisions, but more from the higher ups. And as long as it like didn't cross a, a line for me, I was like, okay, whatever. So I ba- I knew where I wasn't, but I didn't really know who I was. So, so I just kind of let it go. So is this like Miley Cyrus moving to LA and that big change from the party in the USA? She got off the plane. She's got the boots. And you know, she's, <laughs> and now, now she's on a wrecking ball. Yeah, is that what you yeah exactly. Yeah. Big change. Oh, she's gone. She's gone through some changes. Is this uh, you? Yeah. Is this the change you made? Is this you? <laughs> Uh, not as drastic, um, but but if you look at the two videos, it's pretty it's pretty drastic. I would say Vis- uh, visually and and sonically, I became a lot more of just pop, very very little like real instruments, which was not really me. But again, I just I went. I, it's a it's a mistake I think I made. I would go back and change that for sure. Um, but so the the new music fit more of I guess the more electronic sounds. And then, but it did afford me the the biggest tour I ever went on, which was uh, New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Boys in 2011. They did a joint tour, their first joint tour. And we went across the entire nation. And um, I was on the Ellen Show that year. And uh, yeah, yeah that, I mean, like I did deal. a lot of things. Yeah, I, mean, you know, that, yeah, I, I remember like hearing about that tour. I wasn't on it, of course, because I have no yeah. talent. But I remember like that's a that's a big deal. You know, most people like try really hard to name drop. Ashlyn's just talking about literally her family and <laughs> yeah. her, her like. She's like, I was hanging out with Leanne Rhymes, and yeah, it was no big just, deal. Yeah, she was like, over the house all yeah, the time. Yeah, no I mean, most deal. people try to do that stuff, but she's just living her life. You know, that's that's different. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I've seen some of those people in a concert. Yeah, well, yeah no problem. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's... I know every move in that dang concert because I saw it so many times. <laughs> oh man, that's well, great. I'll bet. And so, so you're peaking here in your career, and yeah. then obviously you're not doing that now. So how did that sort of end? Yeah, so I started. I told you about the the being sick the first time because that's really what ended up being the the issue for me. Um, the whole time I was on the New Kids Backstreet tour. Uh, I mean, starting with Ellen, I popped a blood vessel in my vocal cords the, that morning from taking too too much or not eating enough with an antibiotic that I didn't know was like a horse pill. And I'm only 5'2". So thanks, Doc. But um, I was leaving on the tour the next day. So I didn't have any room to like push it or go too far with my um, my voice. I went to the doctor. They said, yeah, you popped a blood vessel in your vocal cords. And I was like, of course I did. So, and that's the kind of stuff that just happened all the time to me. Like just weird. I broke a tooth in half. Um, Don't know when that happened or how that happened, but I was sick all the time. And I just don't know if it was like God telling me this is not what I have for you, but it was pretty clear. Um, I lost my voice a lot. I was, and I, I'm, and this is the same person who goes to sleep as much as she can, who's, who does not drink, who did not smoke, does not smoke, did not smoke, does not do drugs. I, I just, I took care of myself and yet I couldn't stay well. And so that was like, okay, I get it. I hear you is what I ultimately figured out. And, um, and so when I, my dad gave me some great advice and, because uh, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to tell people? Because everybody, did, no one would understand why I would get out of music. Like, you have, you have a record deal. What are you thinking? Um, but he, he said, well, what do you like the best, dance, singing, or writing? And I was like, well, writing. He said, well, that, well, that was easy. I was like, well, shoot. He's stupidly, <laughs> annoyingly smart and fatherly. Uh, and so I just, I, I ended up, that's, that's when I really got serious. I moved back to Nashville and I got married, um, about a year and a half later. Okay. So, so how, I just how old are you at life. this point getting married? 
I got married when I was 27. So around 26-ish. I was almost, I, I just, no, 25, 26 when I got off the road. Okay. And and what yeah. was that like? Because you're, I can only imagine, I mean, the fame, you're on this giant tour, and then all of a sudden, even if you love writing, you're writing, which I have to think is fairly solitary. Um, you know, it is. Yeah, so, I, I mean, am a solitary lady. Yeah, but, but, but it I mean, works for me. That, that affirmation that you had to be just getting poured into you, I mean, you're, you're sort of a big deal. You're on tour, you're doing that, and then that's gone. Was that a struggle? It was not. It was actually a struggle to be on all the time because um, – like I had asthma really bad, but I was told by higher ups that I sh- shouldn't mention that. I was told not to talk about certain things. I was told, like, I had like a kind of a script, and it, it wasn't out of m- malicious intent, but there was a brand. I was a product. I was not a human. So you're saying so the, my- pre- the pressure was off after you got off the road, and you felt kind of like yeah. calm in being able to be home, be be able to write, and and just kind of be yourself, and kind of l- let that pour out. No one's out. telling me what to wear. No one's telling me what to say. No one's asking me. You know, and and also my health is up to me. I'm not like, I'm not afraid that I'm not going to be able to perform tonight because I don't have to. So that was the biggest weight off my shoulders after that. And I don't think it would have been that way had I not been sick all the time. I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. And I think it would have been a little bit harder to get off the road. But at that, it, such was life for me. So I embraced it. So your body and, kind of dictated like like what you yeah. could do and what you couldn't do. And, and what's really good is you listen to your body. A lot of people don't. They kind of just push through that pain. So... It's good. You know, there was a time, there was a time in, on the tour where I was starting to lose. I just on extra with Mario Lopez, like AC Slater, and I uh, would, I had a of course to go. Of to course, dance. she did extra with AC Slater. Yeah, of course she did. Yeah, buddy, in in LA, and I was it was my it wasn't a day off, but it was it was a, a week off from the tour. It was also the the opening week of my new record, so I was on uh, back and forth across the nation on uh, Red Eyes every night, and it was. I was already exhausted and there and I started to lose my voice during that performance and I had to go teach a dance class to my own song at this place that night and then get on a red eye after a lovely spray tan um which made me orange and awful looking and so I went and I was going to go to Sacramento that night and so I'm sitting there in this like getting myself psyched up to go yell over my own my own voice and song to these girls and I'm so I'm my, my voice is hurting. I just know we're not getting anywhere, and I don't have any time to rest or recover before we get back on tour for the rest of the time. And that's like Nashville, that's uh, Staples, that's Chicago, all these places that I really want to like be my best for. And this woman who was with me, uh, she used to work, uh, I think, tour with Babyface a long time ago, and she said, "You know how you feel right now, girl." And I was like, "Yes." <laughs> And she said, this is when people start doing drugs. Wow. And I was like, oh, I get it. Wow. So you, I you, get it. Yeah. So you heard that. You took it to heart. And you talked to your dad. And mm-hmm. you move home. You start writing. You get married. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then, you know, if we sort of skip ahead um, yeah. to, to sort of post that, I mean, we're, I'm sort of interested in your new profession that, that you've been sort of shifted to. So you come out of that marriage, and now you're divorced. You've been super successful. Um, you got all this going on. Um, what did you, what did you, you're married for four years? Almost four, yeah. Okay, you're married for four years. How did that come out um, as, you, as you moved out of divorce? What was that like for you? 
Well, to be honest, like on a personal note, during all that time off, you know, because I'm in transition central from the road to a regular, quote unquote, regular life with routine and whatnot. And all that while I'm trying to discover myself personally there, too. So it did not help me that like the divorce was kind of like just this big obliteration. Like I wasn't even fully aware of who I was at that point, like, you know, in, in my career, because I had been one thing for so long and thought of one thing for so long that I think it actually just blew, like, just, I don't know. It blew me off, like uh, off the, uh, the hill yeah, a little bit more. So like, that was, that was a personal blow. Yeah. Like identity wise, like you kind of lost yeah. yourself. Okay. I'm no longer a wife. And I don't really have anything that really fills me up. I was in real estate. Um, I got into that during the marriage. And um, that was the only thing I could really, that I had been doing consistently the whole time. Besides, I was writing, but I didn't, like you said earlier, writing is so solitary. There's no one but you to keep you going. And so even though I'm a workhorse and I will, I will write every single day and I will get it done, it's also another product and it's another thing. It's an entrepreneurial thing. And I'm, I'm naturally an entrepreneur, but it's hard to be an entrepreneur when your life, it like, uh, I think we were talking before we started this podcast, the rug is pulled out underneath you. And so I didn't have any grounding. I just, I didn't believe in myself anymore. I didn't think I could do anything. I didn't think I was, uh, I could I, I couldn't get a date as far as I was concerned. Yeah, our I thought last, I was uh, ugly. I thought everything. <laughs> our last podcast was about value yeah. and uh in how people find value in in who uh you in, in so like for example, I found value in my marriage and I found value in being a dad and I found value in my job and my abilities. And and the whole last podcast we did was about how we have value in in and of itself because we have value because we're created by God and not because of these things we can do or who we are or, or even our circumstances, you know, our value is where you park your value. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you were kind of like reevaluating a lot of those things after moving, transitioning through different careers and, and going into a mm-hmm. marriage and, you know, you would find your value in a lot of different things. And it seems like you just kind of like everything kind of well, shifted and changed. Well, and I mean, just hearing your story about when you were younger, I mean, you, you kind of feel like you, you had the Midas touch, right? I mean, everything you touched along the way turned to gold. Um, and it sounds like you're kind Ish, of hard. Oh, well, yeah. uh, okay, maybe not pure gold, but <laughs> to you know. To a degree, it worked out. Yeah. It definitely worked out. Yeah, but but yeah, you just, you know, success after success at what you're doing. And you, it sounds like you were kind of had high standards for yourself and you pushed yourself. And so then you end up in this marriage and, and that might be like the first real big failure of your life. That's That's my story. Um, Ashlyn is like, uh, I, I was, and I'm not nearly as successful as, as you are in terms of those ways, but I really, my life had kind of gone according to plan. Um, all along the way, I was checking the boxes as I go, and it was like, you know, sure, I had little failures, but, but nothing really notable. And then, you know, you end right. up divorced, and it's this big, gaping uh, pockmark on Black your life. Eye. And you're like, oh, <laughs> I don't think yeah. I can spackle over that one. I don't have it together. I, I'm going to church alone now. And like, like, yeah, you try to hold it together, hold it together. And then everybody sees it's all really falling it's apart. It's so public, right? Yeah, it's I mean, very it's, public. And it's, you know, in, in my story, I mean, my wife left. And so it's it's like a rejection. You got personal rejection. And then other people see the rejection. You're like, and I'm a guy who likes mm. my appearances. And I got um, not like my physical appearance, but like the appearance of doing well. And so you're dealing yeah. with that identity and it's just all gone like poof overnight. Oh, and I think I personally, I've talked to so many women at this point um, 
And no matter if you were left or if you were the one who left, it doesn't it doesn't lessen the the big hole that it leaves behind. I remember going, um, I rem- like distinctly remember going to coffee shops and feeling like my left hand had a spotlight on it. It felt like everyone could see it, everyone could tell, everyone knew, and I wasn't even. I, I, and it was okay. I mean, like I was like, okay, let's move on, but it didn't matter. I still was so aware that I was divorced and that other people were they're moving on with their lives. Like, how can you even do that? I can't even put on my socks. And and that was so. That was the hardest part for me was just getting used to things are never going to be the same. And I do have to literally start from scratch. And that was probably the hardest um, thing to swallow, but it was also ultimately the biggest opportunity um, that of my entire life because it was like, okay, there's like a cataclysmic event. Has it happened? You cannot go back. You can only go forward. So what are you going to do about it? I like how uh, you're a uh, forward minded. I, it seems like you're like a glass half full person. It seems like she's just like positive with everything she says It's kind of like, well, this happened, but, but let me tell you, there's something else. There's something else to come. And she's always got this, like the next horizon, you know? There has to be. I mean, you have, have choices. Every day is a choice post uh, breakup, post divorce. Like my main thing was how do I not get back here again? That's the only thing I cared about. Like I don't want to be here again in any way, shape or form. So I will do whatever it takes. Self-work. I mean, it doesn't matter what happened in the marriage. It doesn't ha- matter what happened in the divorce process. That's done. I don't want to rehash that. I couldn't if I wanted to. So why don't we take the next step? The only, the only problem was I thought divorce that like the end of that day, the day that I was uh, quote unquote a divorcee on paper by the court, I thought that was the light at the end of the tunnel. But it turned out that was the beginning of the tunnel. I had no idea the work and the, the hardship and the long nights I was in for, but I did know that I had no other option. So let's talk about so that. There you go. So the tunnel... I mean, uh, not to get yeah. too dark, but like, like you, I, yeah. I like that analogy a lot. So you're starting in the tunnel the day of the of the divorce, and and like, what does that look like? Even getting started, going down that path. I, I honestly thought, okay, I can, you know, there's nothing else to to keep my attention. Now I can move forward. I can walk at the speed I want to walk into this next chapter, and I can I can meet someone, and I can I can be happy. You know, like I just started to like fantasize about what life would look like, and it just didn't happen um, because I, I was dealing with all the the stuff that we were we were all facing at the same time, which is wondering if you have any more worth, wondering if you're good at anything. So I found it hard to take a step forward because I questioned every move I made, every thought that came into my head. I no longer trusted my intuition because obviously I, I my picker's broken or I misunderstood everything up until this point. So I'm just... For me, it was going, my lawyer had told me, um, you don't need to be doing real estate during this time because it takes a lot of your personality and it takes selling, which is not your natural instinct, like that I'm not that person. I was good at it because I cared about people and details and things like that, but I, I wasn't like attacking during this time. I was regressing. I was 
trying to cover myself up and say, don't work with me. I'm not useful. I'm not good at anything. You you don't want me. So he said, let's, let's get you a job that is like you literally show up and you do your job and you go home, but you have somewhere to be. And so that was probably the best advice I got from him um, during that time because I got that job at Belmont. I had a place to go. I was talking about music business. I was with people who understood me as a human, as a, as a, a musician. Um, and I was on a campus where people have a lot of hope. So that would be what I would recommend to somebody if they don't have a job or if they have a job, but they need something to take their time up. Your days get longer and longer. I don't know about you guys, but it felt like every day was four days long. Yeah. And so yeah, having a place to go and have a purpose was super helpful at the very, very beginning. Yeah, I definitely can relate with a lot of that. It's it's sort of John and I have a weird reality because we have kids that we have half the time. So it's like, oh my gosh, yeah, yes. it's, it's this weird, bizarre world where we spend half the time as dads and we have this like family and then half the time you're all alone. Yeah. And it's it's that weird mm. um, juxtaposition. It's like of, a twilight zone. It, well, I'll tell you, it took me a long time. Like I would get really depressed every time I'd take my kids back. For, for like yeah. six months because it's like you'd get to experience all that and you'd have somebody and then it was just gone and you're like, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm all alone. Yeah. And, oh, and I I don't think I mentioned this. This is just not to add insult to injury, but my dog of 12 years died five days before uh, my mediation date and he died in the middle of the night. He stopped breathing and he already had, he had like heart disease. And so I was like, I don't have a husband. I don't have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a career. <laughs> I was a sad little girl. So how long? And no children. Yeah. And how long do you feel like, you know, that, that dark part of the tunnel? I'm sure that we're all sort of still walking toward the light. But how, how long do you think like that dark part lasted before you got your feet underneath you? You know, honestly, I think I, I stalled it a little too much when I got into, I, I can't even call it a relationship. It was a really bad idea, but I think I, I could have. <laughs> That's what I call that. all my relationships. <laughs> a really bad <laughs> idea. That's perfect, Ashlyn. That's perfect. <laughs> it, it, it was terrible. And, but I thought, oh, this is, you know, cause right after something falls apart, you're just looking to not. It wasn't about just being alone, but it, you want to be looked at. You want to be seen, heard, all those things. And and I thought that's what it was because it was someone from well before my past. It was someone who knew me before even my 19th birthday thing happened. So I'm sitting here going like, you see me for who I am and you you put me on a pedestal when really he, he had his own issues and that's and he really hadn't changed since before then. But I didn't see that because I didn't want to. And so I think I pressed pause on the getting out of the hole or the tunnel so to speak uh for a about six months sure. because i was waiting on things to to happen and i was like "Ooh, i get my real life but it wasn't working out and then i start to go back like folding myself into myself a little bit more because i'm now i'm embarrassed so you of, wanted to be known or you wanted to like have somebody to hold your hand and talk to and, yeah. and you know you wanted to yeah. honestly i just wanted to know that i could actually go on a date and somebody would actually like be able to tolerate me and and i could pay for their meal and, and just be with somebody <laughs> well, I, else i couldn't believe girls would go on dates with me when when I got divorced I really was I was shocked I was like it was really bad the first couple months that I started dating like anybody who wanted to go on a date I was like yeah I'll go on a date with you let's do it like yeah you want to go with me okay yeah I was like I mean I it was bad and Thomas is a good-looking guy too so that's a that's a shocking thing for me to hear 
So well, I mean, well, your self confidence. And I, I can't wait to see this in person or on on a, in a picture at this point now. But it's so weird that we all think that we have nothing to offer after a divorce. It's really a glorified breakup. It's a legal, legally bound breakup. And, and yes, there were a lot more promises involved, but it's so interesting. I find from my breakups to the divorce how much harder I had, a, like how much harder it was for my seat to to blah, 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 see myself, excuse me, I get ahead of myself, I talk really fast, sorry. Um, it was hard for me to see myself as anyone else saw it. And I'm sure that's the same. It sounds like it for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. You just, you get this distorted view of yourself. It takes a while to bring that back. And and which is, you know, really what I think is so inspirational about how you've pivoted this because you haven't just sort of found your own feet. um, But this has sort of become part of of your mission and your uh, ministry, I guess, of what you're doing now. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. Uh, so after I eventually uh, got rid of my bad idea of dating this particular person, I hit a brick wall uh, and I was like, no, no more. So I started to read every book I could get my hands on, not like divorce books, because those didn't really speak to me. I didn't want to hear about someone else's journey as much as or read about it because I'm a reader, voracious reader. But for whatever reason, it meant I had to do more work. It meant I had to apply. And I, I didn't have the capacity to, to do more work and and figure out exactly what their story was like in in relation to mine or whatever. So I started reading a lot of Brene Brown, who is one of my all-time favorites. I read Glennon Doyle. Um, I just, I read a lot of memoirs. I, I just consumed as much as possible. And through that, I just started to go, I did like a, a living autopsy of where I was. And I like Law and Order SVU. So that was a natural <laughs> thing for me to do. <laughs> and um, and so I started to think, okay, like, what do they do? They literally put you on the table. They open you up. They look for a toxicology report. They look for, uh, or, you know, they run the, the reports. They take everything out. Nothing's off, uh, off the table. Literally, everything's on it. They take it all out and they examine every single piece looking for one shred. That's, this is where it all went wrong. So that's what I was looking for in my own life. And uh, it wasn't the most beautiful thing I've ever done, but it was clearly like there are a lot of little boxes that I had left grayed out from relationship to relationship that I never examined because I was just like, for instance, my spirituality. I grew up in Nashville and I went to a Christian school, but I was also I also grew up in a very uh, progressive household. So I never really thought about the two and where some of that shame we were talking about earlier came from. And so ultimately I started to make connections and see, okay, I didn't want to tell anyone about my sexual assault because I was afraid God would never forgive me or look at me again when I would I would believe he'd forget anyone else on the planet with without a, a, a blink. But for why did I believe I was the exception to that rule? And so I started to go through all that stuff and I started to realize that I had a pattern. I chose the same people because of how I felt about myself. And so it started to get really uh, clear that I was reflecting what I was getting. Wow. And so I realized, okay, okay, can't can't do that anymore. I need to figure out who I am. Who Who is Ashlyn? And it's not the singer. She's, she's not just a kid, the daughter. She's not the sister. She's not the ex-wife. She's not any of these things. Who am I? And so in uncovering that, I realized that I, I was someone not totally different, but I was a lot more. Um, 
and I got clear on it and it took a while. Like I'm still doing it every day, which is the best part of this. But then I realized I, I do have, I was given the gift to write and I was given the gift to be open about things. Um, much to a lot of people in my life's dismay, I am very, very open book because I just don't see the point, you know, of, of, of silently suffering. You know what? I, so, uh, I, yeah. I had a, uh, my grandpa, he, uh, he used to sit and read books all the time. And I remember this as a child watching him and he would just sit and read and read and just, uh, you know, consume all this knowledge. And he would never open his mouth and share anything whatsoever. And he would just sit there. And I know him as a child and would always go to his house. And I was like, how much has he read and how much does he know? But he doesn't he doesn't share anything. And here we're talking to you and you are truly an open book. And you're sharing some very (laughs) intimate things. And I'm like, this is really cool. I mean, you're on the table, like you said, from SVU. And you're you're like, you're like taking like stock of your life. And you're saying, okay, who am I right now? And who do I want to be in the future? And you're kind of just taking a really honest look at all these things. And I, I, I think it's beautiful, because what better time to do that than today? You know? Yes. Well, and again, like, I, I like what I found, like what when I really pulled everything back away, and I got rid of the patterns and got rid of um, my ways of thinking, my limited m- beliefs, my assumptions, I actually really liked Ashlyn. And that was something I'd always had trouble with. Because even though, like, you can say all day that you thought I had a, a, a really successful life, I did not think that. I thought I was a failure. I thought I reinvented myself so many times that people would never take me seriously again. And that was without divorce in my past. And so this is me rediscovering that I have something to offer. And maybe it's my journey. Maybe it's the public knowledge that I went through a divorce and that I'm willing to talk about it. And so that renewed everything in me. I started to just write it all down and I got clear on what I actually did to get there. And that's where the courses came from. Because honestly, you write what you don't have, what you don't see on the shelf. And I didn't see a different, I want to be productive post-divorce. I did not want to sit and wallow. I did not want to numb. I did not want to just go out and try to stay awake as long as I could so that I would just fall asleep because nights are hard post-divorce, really hard. And weekends were, Sundays were the worst for me. Easter was weirdly the worst for me uh, because everyone has their kids. And I just, I I broke down. My parents said, you have to come and live with us now because they decided we don't want you to be in your house alone. We just, and I got a new dog. My dad made me. (laughs) He said, I said, I can't take care of myself. Daddy said, well, this will help. So I have a new little one that he moved here to Colorado with me and he's a rescue and he's the light of my life besides my new husband. Sorry. But, um, <laughs> Priorities. We, we all know. Him. Yeah. Who goes first, the dog or the husband? I mean, I guess we should ask that. I mean, I got the dog first. There you go. First come first serve. I, I think that's, that's it. So, so you mentioned these, these courses. And so we, I do want to yeah. talk about those. And then uh, after that, maybe pick your brain a little bit. Maybe you can give John and I some help as we sort we of navigate. We need lots of help, yeah, we're, Ashlyn. We're still deep in the tunnel. Yeah. Deep in the tunnel. And there's, I've seen a light once or twice, but that's about it. So. Yeah, it turned out it was just a cell phone. I'm nowhere near the end of the tunnel. Um, but but these, these courses that you've got out there, I know that the, the one that you had um, sort of first, I guess, was how to move on after divorce and actually move on with your life and be happy. Can you tell us a little bit about the courses, what they are, where you can find them? They are very similar to each other. I just, um, my, actually my, uh, my new husband, Marcus, who has just, he was worth every, every bit of heartache. I will tell you that when you find the right person, it is worth 
all of it. That's really sweet, uh, by the way. That's super sweet. Seriously, uh, shout out to Marcus. Worth it. Way to go, Marcus. Yeah, That's thank you, dream. Marcus Blue. Uh, by the way, my new last name is Blue. How cool! But uh, so the this course that I wrote for divorce, I wrote it. Um, just like I said, going back through all the things that I did, and I figured out probably what the what the uh, steps, like the actual order, should have been because I was a hot mess, and you know, did just did whatever I could. But I realized that there was probably a, an order that could be done, um, and it's done. There, it's, it, the course is is done at home. It's on paper and pen because there's a lot to be said about paper and pen. When you get, if you if you're not a journalist because you just don't think you're a writer. There is magic in one thought comes out at one time. And usually it's the most important one because your brain can only do one at a time. And so it's so interesting. So I made this a, a, an actual, like a, a hard, or it's like, it's not a hard back book, but it's uh, a workbook. So it's actual paper and it's done. It's split into six and a half because I just couldn't stop myself from doing a half at the very end. <laughs> Do you get um, the answers at the end of the book like it like they did in school? Because <laughs> we really want the answers. Yeah, like, is it pass like fail? Or? <laughs> yeah, um, and it, it takes you through six and a half uh, steps, and so they're it's not time sensitive. They're modules rather than chapters or weeks or whatever. So it's it's at your own pace. Um, in the comfort of your own home or whatever you want to do. And it's no one's asking you to turn it in, which is another thing I think that's really important because not everyone likes to sit and talk to somebody. I, I liked, I took, I did therapy and I was great, but not everyone can afford therapy um, or not everyone can afford it as long as they, they would need it. So this is just an alternative or maybe even just like uh, an addendum to what you're doing, a little extra, because it, it requires, a, it asks you a lot of questions. So you start with, assessments, um, which sounds terribly boring, but it's really insightful. So we start with a baseline. We want to see where you are today and where you, so we have, I have three assessments. The, before you got married for the, uh, for the divorce one, during the marriage, and then after the marriage. And I ask you a series of questions. I don't even know how many there are. It's just a lot of things to really conjure and pull up memories, how things were. And then for the second, um, the second module is about your patterns and your cycles and your loops. And so we take everything you figured out in the first module and everything you brought up to the surface and you lay it out in front of you and you literally identify the similarities and the big upsets from all three. Where were you always doing this? How are you always doing this? What changed here? How do you deal with um, stress? Did you cope with um you know, help? Or did you cope with self-loathing like me? Um, so trying to figure out like where, what are your go-tos? And so once we know what your, your chronic patterns are and your cycles and your limiting self-beliefs, then we can start to undo them one by one. Actually, um, let me tell you about some bad coping mechanisms that I've had through my, uh, through, just as you talk about all the good mechanisms, let me tell you a couple of bad ones. So I have an Apple guy and, and um, on my phone and on my computer, it saves all the text messages I've ever written through iMessage. And I literally have gone through the last like five years to 10 years of my marriage and read through most of the text and trying to look at like a pattern of where things broke down and how I could have been a better husband. 
And I know that's horrible to say, but I'm just telling you, I don't even know why I'm bringing this up. No, no, that's so horrible. That's very lovely in theory, but it can't be helping you. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, okay, you're right. And I stopped this a while back, but, but during the separation. When he ran out of text to read, yeah, like, <laughs> I've got to stop this. <laughs> there's nothing left. There's nothing left to read. So I started writing my own text. No, but, but here's, yeah, like. To yourself. Exactly. <laughs> well, then. Dear I, me. Yeah, exactly. If you run out of text, here's what you do. You read the text from the other person's perspective. Then you're like, okay, how did this sound from there? So you can play games. Then once more with British accents, just to like really (laughs) liven it up. Yeah. So, so, um, Ashton, where can we find these, these, uh, these programs that you have put together if, if people are interested? Yeah, they are. Uh, and so the, so the breakup one is the same exact thing. I just didn't I want to assume anyone who's going through a breakup, like it's different verbiage. So I, different anecdotes, different things. So it's, it's the same thing with, with you in mind, you know, so if you're, if you're not going through a divorce, you know, we, we don't need to talk about divorce. We need to talk about a breakup in, in the context of what you're going through. Um, because I find that a lot of people going through breakups like myself in the past, well, it's not divorce. You know, so you start to invalidate how you feel about things. And so that's not okay with me. And um, so I made two different courses, but they do the same thing. And I have them on my website as of now, um, howtomoveonandbehappy.com. So that's really the overarching thing. We're moving into getting unstuck is the next one I'm working on right now. And then I'm working with a woman who is currently um, in remission from breast cancer, talking about that. I've been talking to my grandmother who's you know I talked about her earlier she lost her husband and so we want to do one about loss so it's really about moving forward into that next chapter whatever it may be but for now I have the ones for divorce and breakup sounds sounds that's great so if you're interested in that and are these primarily geared toward women or, or is it both genders um you know I because I because I, I was a woman, I still am, by the way. <laughs> Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, good job. Because I am a woman, I knew I could speak directly to, I was talking to me, you know, the whole time. And so it's not, it's not that it couldn't be done. It's not like if you, like the dedication is women like us. So it's not like it's it's not uh, trying to say no. It's it, you can't. But when I decided to to talk to someone, I really was having a conversation with myself two years ago. So it's it's not exclusive, but you might have to change some of the pronouns. <laughs> Ashlyn, thank you so much for for some of this insight that you're giving to us. Um, I think in interest of time, we're going to pause here, but we are going to pick this back up. What I thought might be fun is as part of your program, you have a bunch of bullet points on your website. Um, of things that people feel uh, frequently when they're going through these types of transitions. So we're going to end this podcast, but when we come back for our next episode, we're going to have Ashlyn back with us, and we're going to walk through some of these bullet points, and she's going to actually advise John and I on how to get our stuff together. We need to get our stuff together, and honestly, I've been looking at these bullet points, and I think this is a good way to start, like, like becoming who we need to become. <laughs> That's I, I need it. to become something. <laughs> well, yeah, you after listening to Ashlyn for a long time, I'm like, my goodness, she's walked where we walked. And, and I'd like to like learn more about that process and learn more about where I need to get going. You got it. Yep. And so Ashlyn, thank you for joining us on this episode. And thank you to all our listeners. Sure. We're available on all the, the major uh, podcasting websites, of course. And also we have a uh, email, lifeafterbliss at gmail.com. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Follow us, tag us, leave a review, do anything, but we'd love to hear from you guys and get some more feedback. 
Yeah, and so, and just as a reminder, if you're interested in Ashlyn's uh, program on how to move on after divorce and be happy, you can check her out on her website. Uh, if you just look up Ashlyn Huff, you can find her online. Um, she's got great programs, whether it's divorce or whether it's a breakup. Uh, please look into those because as you guys have probably heard, she is just uh, pouring out tons of insight for us. And so, you know, if you want a piece of that, uh, you know where to find her. Yeah, and I think she's, basically what she said to us is she's available for, for people. She really wants to hear from people and she wants to communicate. She wants to create a network of people that can uh, that can talk and respond and, and just be part of a family of people that are going through some tough times together and walk through this together. Yep, and so thank you for listening and tune in next time for our next podcast. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye-bye.